And we're back to episode seven of the Lion Tiger Show. I'm Mr. Lion. No, I'm Mr. Tiger. He's wrong size. You forgot who you were. Yeah. You forgot who you were. Yeah, I forgot who I am. Seven, yeah. And you forgot who you were. This yeah. is 2020. <laughs> This is 2020 right right away. Who we are in the podcast? Well, you you know you know. And you know what's funny? You know, I, just, I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'll get eventually, but you know, by the time we get this out, uh, we'll be future. We'll be in 20. So, to all our listeners out there, whoever you are, you know, I hope you've been enjoying your show. But you know, hope you had a good New Year's as well. But you know, it's been great to um on this journey with you but you know i think i think today is probably going to be our most special episode because we finally scrounged up a guest from the netherlands from the swamps from from uh from the northern from, beaches oh that's right and from the ashes comes mr, mr. Phoenix. phoenix mr from phoenix. the ashes How as well you? you know you know <clears throat> hello how's everybody? it going phoenix <laughs> My name is Phoenix. All right, Phoenix Hassan, how are you? <laughs> uh, very good, thank you very much. My country, Tokyo, very good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you're Japanese as well. Mm, I am a Japanese, Chinese, and Korean. Oh, three, three in one. It's a special basket, man. So, so you must hate. You. I'm Chinese. I hate Japanese. But I'm also. Ja- I hate everyone. I hate. The, I hate the Chinese. And then when the Koreans, you know, I hate the Chinese. I hate the Japanese. Like, how does that work? Oh, it, it is very hard uh, life. But uh, I prefer peace, like a like a European Union, but uh, Asia Union, Asia Union, and the <laughs> Mongolia will lead Asia Union. <laughs> Right. Well, well, yeah, yeah, well, well yeah, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Phoenix, work, it's, you know. it's a special honor to have you to the podcast. And what we're going to be talking about in this episode is about the year, year of 2020. What a fucking insane yeah. year it has been. Everyone in the world have had different experiences. Some are good, some are bad. Some are productive, some are very procrastinative. I know I'm, I'm in that procrastinative <laughs> part. But, you know, everyone had a different experience this year, but this is a year like no other. Um, it really changed how everyone uh, go about living their life in a digital world and in the digital age. And I wanted to pass on to Mr. Phoenix. Um, what have been your highlights for 2020, mate? So... My highlights this year, and I say this as someone who's uh, lived in Australia for most of my life, um, but having very ambiguous ancestry, of course. Um, my highlights this year has been quite uh, just been working at home and been seeing my friends from time to time and um, not being able to go on the dance floor, which is really, really sad because I live for the dance That's floor. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We, we, I miss that that's shit. the most dangerous thing you could ever do. That's the most <laughs> dangerous thing you ever do. I know. That, I know. that is equal to international terrorism. Mm, mm, <laughs> you're supporting the terrorist. I know, I know. I know. There's a reason why when you're no, younger, your parents... Kidding, but, you know, 
No, no, no. But there's a reason why when you're younger, your parents say, hey, kids, be careful when you go out to the nightclubs. There's a very good reason why they said that. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they, yeah, they anticipated you... that this was going to be a super spreading place. That's why they said it. <laughs> they were yeah, better yeah, yeah, our yeah. time, our parents, man. Uh, you know, they foresee their future. Yeah, just, you know, before, you know, they already saw this. They already saw this would happen, you know. But, you know, it's crazy. Like, Absolutely, absolutely. Back a century ago, this happened. This same thing happened at the same bloody time. And hopefully, hopefully, twenty years, or or even now, you know, hopefully, uh, nothing happens. Well, there, there, there was a war <laughs> this war. year, but you know, it's a very minor one in the <laughs> in the Caucasus. We, we, we won't mention very that, small. but you know, very you know, we, war, you I'm know? I'm just clarifying that. <laughs> no major war. No major war where nah. we have to. Uh, nah. We ourselves in a developed is to uh script. But you know, I think for me as well, you know, just looking back in years, it's been a great year of uh just just getting more involved and trying to find what your passions are, you know. I think um Phoenix and I, you know, we, we played a lot of basketball this year and it's been great to get the exercise in as well as, you know, do cardio, which I play hate and and, and just essentially, you know, just um Get good at something. Get good at the skill, you know, which is um, which is uh, uh, good. But you know, we haven't even been playing in a while. But you know, you know that that's uh, that's for sure. Given it's so close up to Christmas, but you know, hopefully we pick it up mm. down the road. But you know, Mister Mister Lion, final yeah, remarks from you. Yeah, mate. Uh, it's been a very challenging year for me. Uh, nothing much happened, and in a way, I've been trying to pick up some new skills here and there. Um, but you were right. You are absolutely right. This is the year to find what you're most passionate about because you got so much time to think about it, right? Like, like when, like when I was working and stuff, like, you know, I didn't really have that time to think about things, but you know, as the year come to a close, when I reflect back on this year, man, there was now a lot of time to think about what you are passionate about. And, you know, I know that I like, I like, you know, I'm very passionate about investing. I'm very passionate about talking to my mates and getting onto this podcast, for instance, is one of my passions as well. I just like to, you know, you know chill out for a week, chill out for an hour, just fuck around, talk about shit um, and, really, and really talk about some of the most important issues that are facing our time. And um, yeah, it's been, apart from that, it's been pretty good. And um, I like how Mr. Phoenix... He's drinking his camel juice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mainstay of my uh, my homeland, Mongolia, of course. But um, yes, I, I'm, I, I'm glad that I really think we all have used this year quite, I guess, appropriately um, to really reflect on, you know, what we can do with the rest of our, our hopefully long lives. Um, and, you know, yeah. uh, just fingers crossed. <laughs> Absolutely. Like anecdotally, I, this year I, I lost about, um, I lost over 12 kilos. Um, Fuck me. and I didn't, you know, I, I, I bucked the trend out of most people I know, actually almost everyone I know, um, who have put on weight during this year. And I think, um, part of that was just discipline. Like I know, um, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard time for everyone. And if I give, if I give in to, um, you know, like the, the temptation of just staying at home all day and eating lots of food and not working out, then, you know, it won't be good for me. And I don't think 
um, yeah, I think I wanted to make it a productive year in spite of all the, in spite of all the difficulties um, that we all go through. And so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. It's great to hear, Matt. I, I, I think, I think the main on this podcast, and especially for this, I'm just looking fast, you know, and where and where we where we go in the future, you know, in terms of uh, I look back to, well, I listen back to actually in a video format, so you know, in a pray for me to say, but you know, I look back to episode where uh, the line and myself we discussed the Asian and Black experiences, you know, particularly about Asian representation in media, you know, with the new uh, book about Boba Fett, which you know ties into our last episode about Star Wars. It's been great to see that, you know, that that smaller characters in, in that, especially an American uh, character, uh, person, actor, will be getting a lead role in the book of Boba Fett, which comes out next year around Christmas, as well as um, other Marvel wait, properties, such as Shang-Chi, The Legend of uh, wait, Ten I thought, Rings. I thought the Boba Fett guy was a New Zealander. I thought Boba no, Fett. I'm talking about the uh, chant. I saw Ming um, Na Wen got cast into that Boba Fett thing. Am I right? Yeah, that, yeah, that she's done very that. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so she's she's moved on from Marvel of Shield. I don't I don't know if she's on there. I'm watching after this. See her just rebound to to a more uh, viable property, which is you know Star Wars. But you know, I I think. That, that's what I really was your thoughts about, you know, especially right now with Shang-Chi as well as with Simi Lu regarding the comments really about, you know, what, what he said in the past around, uh, what's that actor's name again? Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg, Marky Boy. Yeah, well, just comments he made about him uh, when Marky Boy was first starting out in Hollywood, how he... Um, I won't go into details here, but there's some uh, vicious uh, crimes against a Vietnamese individual, a person of color, you know, back in the day. And, and it's really been basically put under the rug. You know, no one, no one really talks about it. No one even knows about it except for people of, of our descent. And, you know, it's really um, discouraging to see that the way the the way he's responded is pretty devastating as well. You know, he's really just took the Hollywood line, and I kind of understand why he's doing that. He's probably got contractual obligations. If you want to make a stand, and if you want to make sure that you're consistent, or and personally as well, you know, I th- I think you should take a stand. You know, if I were him, I'd just like Marky boy, you you have to. Before the end of this year, you have to apologize. You have to make a video about this or something of that nature, you know. Acknowledge your crimes, acknowledge what you did. And that will be a big building block into improving relations across the Asian Americans as well as to the mm. rest of the Caucasians and the blacks, you know. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg saying something when other Asian American actors are not saying the same. Mm. Mm. What's your thoughts about? Um yeah, this is a very, very good topic and it's very topical as it just happened. Um, yeah, like today. Yesterday. 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 Oh. Yes. Yes. 
Um, and we all know that uh, we're not talking about here a uh, insignificant individual. We're talking about a gentleman by the name of Mark Wahlberg, who not only is an actor, but is also a key investor in the F45 uh, chain of um, gyms around Australia and in the world. Uh, this is not a, a guy off the street. This is you know, a prominent figure. And what he did in the 1980s um, against his, his, um, his violent assault against those Vietnamese American men was you know, very brutal and un absolutely unjustified. And I really feel like um, in this situation, um, it would obviously be the right thing from a moral standpoint to call him out on that um, rather than sign up to his production uh, first. However, I, I understand, um, you know, it's not always easy to be in a position where you can, uh, you know, make such a demand and also uh, have a, you know, what is what will be, I think, a, a good production um, and to be part of that. So I think, um, honestly, I think the best move would be to have made it a condition of being part of that, that he apologized. Um, and I feel like it is a double standard and it is out. It is a double standard that um, let's say if that person was a female, for instance, and instead of the act being an act of assault, against two Vietnamese American men in the 1980s? What if it was a sexual assault against a Vietnamese American woman in the 1980s? If that, was, if that had been the case, then there is no way that such a small incident would just be, uh, such an incident would be just swept under the rug and considered, oh, he's reformed, he'll move on. I feel like there is a definite big double standard here. Um, and I feel like it's one which must be uh, talked about and addressed. Absolutely. I mean, there's been so many cases, um, Hollywood uh, profile cases, where if you, dig in, if you dig into their past on how they managed to get into uh, staff uh, fandom and into the elite spotlight, I'm, I find it really rare <coughs> for any genuine, like, honest actors go up through the ranks without having any sort of shady, shady deal um involving any sort of like um any any like i find it pretty rare to see any cobweb cobwebs um on any hollywood actor that have made it and who've been living in the in the in the past slim shady i can see that and yeah i mean if you like if you were to look into it and now there's been such a huge movement against men um, any sort of sexual assault claims in the 19, I don't know, maybe in the even in the 1940s, why not? There's no bounds. There's, no, there's nothing that's restricting any woman to come up and say, look, this actor was abusive to me in the 1950s. He or she did um, something to me. Uh, and that person um, is obviously successful. And then you can tear him down if you're a woman, right? Because people will take you seriously now. However, if it, was a, if it was a man or if it was someone who's of Asian descent, who is not a woman, by the way, the key thing is woman. <laughs> if it's not a woman, it's like, oh man, it's just a guy that got beaten up. He should, you know, defend for himself. He's such a, like a pathetic person without any, any skills or whatever. Um, he's all right. He'll, 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 it's just one of, it's just an, 
an incident that's not going to happen again. And it's not sexual related. So it's just a beating. So he deserved to get beat up. However, if it was a woman in this case, oh no, this is serious. No, woman is so important. Oh man, you know, she has a, she has a vagina after all. Oh man, like that's, that's, that's like above, above a dick <laughs> in terms of oppression, apparently. Because apparently we, we treat women higher than men when it comes to sexual assault. If a, if a guy gets sexual assault, it's, it's like a joke. It's like, it's like hilarious. However, if it's a, a woman that gets sexual assault, you know, 40 years down the track, all of a sudden this woman has the power to sue the man with all the, you know, possessions and whatever, you know, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely double standard. Um, mm. and, and, and it has been, it has been coming to it. You can see it like every year there's been this like growing movement in for that double standards. Like, like the people who support it don't really see the double standards, but you know, when they're committed, they're committed and they do it at all costs. And that's what's really, really like insane because it's the same, same reason as to, um, the, like in the case where if, the, if a man were to do it back in the eighties, right, he wouldn't have got away with it. Like, like he would have got away with it. Obviously no one cared back then, but the people who you know, like, like defending the men back then, it's the same kind of atmosphere with the, with the, with the women or with anyone else defending those types of people nowadays. Like when they defend something, they defend something to the fullest extent, even if they don't see all the evidence, they just go with it. And that's the co conclusion, even though the conclusion most likely is there's always two sides to the story. There has to be a, you know, a, a, a proper explanation as to why things happen, but you know, yeah, that that's what we can um really see yeah. with Johnny Depp and uh, Amber Heard. Yeah, the absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, that's 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 a perfect case. Which, right? so which in a twenty-four month <laughs> turn from Amber Heard, believable victims to like, you know, Amber Heard, please get her off. Um, buddy, um, buddy, uh, the the DC comic uh, movies you know coming out, and you know, yeah. I think for Johnny, like he's in a position of power. He has people supporting him. But, you know, what if you're just like a normal human being who doesn't have that support, doesn't have the support from fans, you know, um, who, who love uh, the actor unconditionally, you know? I mean, that's the thing, you know, that, that's the terrible double stand that we got at the moment. But, you know, just going back to the Asian representation, I, I, think, I think right now we, we're at a cusp, we're at the precipice of something good that's going to happen in terms of... Uh, media in america it, it it's really turning around but uh, I've, I've talked to uh, the phoenix about this significant amount but you know it's it needs to be right and 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 that's sometimes the issue with some of these movies so you know they, there's some good hits you know probably the best one to to name off my top of here is crazy rich Asians. but there have been hits that that were supposed to be hits but haven't been able to get the box office success that they want to do and, and and a good example of that is Mulan I, I mean do you think that we need as people of Asian descent and you know Asian ethnicity we need to be on the really just be in all aspects of film we can't just be in the front we can't be in the front of the of the camera we have to be in the back we have to be the director we have to be the producer because otherwise our stories won't get told what do you think about that what do I think about that? Um, that is a very, very good point that you've made there. And I think, um, yeah, you've raised, some, you've raised a good example um, of a good movie and 
of one which uh, accurately represents um, uh, people of Asian heritage and then one which does not. And um, I, I think um, at, the, at the core of it, you know, you need, the, the actors can only do so much. The a role that is, um, that derives from a script which uh, is written ultimately by screenwriters and the director. And they oftentimes don't have artistic freedom because they, their every move and their every um, delivery of dialogue is based upon what has been written for them. And um, for Mulan, ultimately, uh, the, the, the issue is that the, most of the people who were behind the, the writing of the, the script and the direction uh, were not of Asian heritage, and um, they and they they didn't, I think, capture the cultural nuances in a way which was uh, authentic, authentically um, genuine. Um, and I guess one example which I could draw upon, uh, which does capture uh, cultural nuances quite well, is quite simply the the Godfather, which we all know about, is um, you know a film about um, <laughs> Italian American uh, mafia mafia family um, but ultimately the the director of that film was an italian uh, or someone of italian heritage francis ford coppola um and uh quite a few of the the people involved in that in that um in that uh uh film were also of italian heritage and so they were able to i guess uh portray it in a in a way which was both authentic uh and um compelling and so i feel like for for movies that involve Asian characters, uh, that would also be, I would say, almost a, a prerequisite to a, a a good quality film. Otherwise, you will continue to have films which uh, will only have uh, you know people with Asian faces performing, but the story itself will not have what will what will be something that audiences can really uh, find unique and audiences that find um, you know compelling. And I think. You know, I I am not Italian American, but if I but when I watched The Godfather, I could relate to the entire story despite not being the same ethnicity, and that goes down to the point that as long as the story is, um, is you know relatable, um, and you know grouping and uh, has good substance, it can be universally appealing. Exactly. I, I agree with that because, you know, when, when people want to go to movies, they don't want to see an Americanized version of something. They want to see something that's written authentically, written in a way that, you know, that, that you get to understand the other perspective, you know. Every think of Italian, it's probably like one or two things, right? Mafia and like, you know, just, just Sicily, right? Mm, mm, mm. right. And, and, the, and like, you know, even, even though that those are probably like not the best examples, you know, like you should be thinking about in terms of the Italian country, you know, the Italian heritage, you know, it's strong, you know, it's vibrant, you know, the food's great, even though I, I consider it stolen. Uh, we, we could discuss that <laughs> later. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, stolen from the, the the steps of Ulaanbaatar, yes. Yeah, 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 exactly yeah. from the Mongolians, yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, but it, you know, like, what what do you hope for in terms of um, the future for like Asians, especially in Western countries? You know, and you know, I, I think uh, 
I think, what do you think about it, Mr. Lion? Like, what, what do you hope that when you die or you're about to die, you know, and, and, you're, and, you're, and your grandchildren, your children are dead, you know, what do you have to see for your future generations? Going, going very deep here, but, you know. I mean, there's a lot of things I hope. Um, one of the things that I hope would happen is advanced technology. Um, having kids the opportunity to use technology in a way in which um, it cannot, like, which, in which we, we will not be able to use. Um, right now, we are at the cusp of technological booms. And in the future, there's going to be like, very like, fast advancements of it. And if our kids can keep up with it, and if our, and if our children um, are the ones that are able to control some of the decisions that are you know, happening around the world using technology, have the opportunities just to try stuff, try uh, new things, that's the most important thing. Because at, at this stage, even now when you think about it, like, the opportunities for mass creation of wealth or mass creation of influence is to the hands of a couple of few people. Like a lot of, a lot of people can do it, but the likelihood of success is pretty low. But those who are at the very top have. But but who who are they mainly? Like you know, like you know, if you look at some of the most wealthiest people in, in the planet right now, they yeah, what have, color are they? They're all white. They're all white. Um, is, that but, a, is that a color? What white's a color? We call it a color in podcast mr phoenix um okay. cool. you know what i mean like it's like you know let, take a look at like some of the top like top five like mark zuckerberg elon musk and um you know jeff bezos they have a low cost of capital in other words in financial terms what that really means is they can fuck up a thousand things right now and they would only lose about 10 percent of their wealth like they could fuck up a thousand things. I'm talking about a thousand things, not like not like ten things or a hundred things. They could fuck up a thousand business ideas or ventures, and that'll only affect ten percent of their net wealth. So we're talking about ten billion out of the hundred billion dollars of net wealth that they have right now, tied up to their stocks and things like that. So it gives them an incredibly powerful low cost of capital. While if you try, if you like, if you if it's like us, for instance, try to do a business venture and things like that. I mean, we probably have like one or two big, you know, correct, good shots because we can't afford a thousand fuck ups. By the time we reach the, the, the 20th, like fuck up, we go, oh shit, we don't have enough money to try a 21st idea. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think for us, we, we don't give us the, give us the opportunity to fuck up in the first place. Yeah, exactly. you know? <laughs> of course. <laughs> just but coming like, from like an Asian background, you're just like, Fuck yeah! Like like like, 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 look, look at all law the, firm. Yeah, like look at all the venture funding. Look at all the IPO funding. Who do they fund? They don't fund any of the diverse people. Only very few venture firms, like uh, Chamath Palahapitiya's uh, Social Capital uh, Venture Fund, he funds diverse entrepreneurs. But everyone else in the VC in Silicon Valley and all those stuff, they only uh, uh, fund like white entrepreneurs. So already, but you're I, in, I thought they were liberal. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's that's what people say, and look what happens. Like you, like money doesn't lie. People can talk shit, but if it if the money doesn't equate to what you're talking, it it's it's shit. It's shit talking. 
You're talking shit. It is, is, let me ask the question. Let me ask the question. I was recently watching the Y Combinator video for DoorDash. So DoorDash is like the Uber Eats. It's really big in America. It's slowly uh, coming across our shores. It's, it's got a foothold here, but not that much, right? So I was noticing the video that there's um, three Asian guys, three Chinese Asian guys, and then there's one white person. Let me, yeah. let me just ask you a question, all right? Did they just bring the white guy into the video just for that, just for that video, just to get through the door? Who's yeah. the main character in that video? I mean, I mean, the white guy is sitting frontal to the camera while everyone's, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Like, there's four of them, right? They, they're both, like, the white guy's sitting at the top right. So if you think of it in the square, you know, the, the rest of it, so he's sitting at the top right and then, Top left is the Asian guy. Bottom left is the Asian guy. Bottom right is the Asian guy. If you mean that, like that. Well, it just sounds like he's those Asian guys are serving him, serving him. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I haven't seen this video, by the way. I've not seen this video. I'll, I'll, I'll send you <laughs> the video after, but that's yeah, what it, it sounds was... like, just by a description. And unfortunately, we live in an era where I look at. Well, I hear that description, and I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and you know what's worse is that when you're uh, they're trying to do some things called um, like AI venture funding, where an artificial intelligence uh, bot or an algorithms try to you know uh, give out a series. But A's. who is going to develop that code? No, no. It, I mean, that's the thing. Who's going to develop the code? I mean, well, let's be honest. The people who develop codes are mainly Asian and Indian and. <laughs> And, and what about the Estonians? The Estonians, Estonians like, like, like uh, in terms of coding, I see a lot of diversity there. I, I agree with that. But what I'm saying are is... Estonians, are Estonians people of color? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't need, you don't need to talk in that role. You just do it. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. No, but like the thing is, when they do the AI code, what, does, what, what is AI? Well, how does it work? It gets training data from all the previous venture fundings that has happened in the past right and they use an algorithm where it try to detect winners and who have been the winners in terms of startups and stuff it's mainly been white guys because a lot of white guys have been creating startups not a lot of the other other races have been creating startups so what happens is when this ai algorithm goes through it right it's going to it's going to obviously give more funding to the white guys and not not the asian guys and and this is what's going to be happening in the future and then the venture people uh, like, like, like people like us going to be like, why there's so much discrimination in uh, startup funding? They're going to say, look, we have an AI that does it, so it's not discrimination because it's a bot that's that's picking us up. But then, obviously, the reason why they're saying that is because it's such an easy excuse. The reason being, oh, it's that, a cop out. Yeah, it's a cop out because the the previous training data has been all like mainly white startups that have succeeded or failed. And that's how the that's how the AI algorithm gets better based on those based on the previous data. So they don't have enough data of the other races doing startups and who've been successful, who've been uh, who've been failing. So this is what's this is what's definitely going to happen in the future. Uh, mark my words, there's going to be an AI that's trying to pick like trying to pick out some potential funding for new companies, and depending on race, some particular type of company might not get the funding, and people are going to say, oh. Um, this is unfair and everything while the VCs go, but we have AI do it. It's not our fault. 
well, obviously it is your fault because the, st- the companies oh, yeah. oh, that are helping yeah. out have been the white companies from the start. Yeah, but um, Mr. Lyon, can, can we talk more broadly? Like, what do you, aside from that, aside from that, what do you hope for your children to make it a better place if they were to live in a Western country, you know? Uh, what do you hope to see, like, in the future? More, 50 more, years. More, more autonomous cars, electric cars. With, no, I meant for your children. Yeah, no, for the children. Well, what, what do you What do you want your children to live in a world? That's what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't. I don't want them to breathe. Fucking I think. But <laughs> I think Tiger is trying to ask about the social elements rather than the, the technological social. elements. I thought you meant actually, literally. What? Nah, want. he's talking about I, the. Social I don't give a aspects. fuck about autonomous cars. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. That'd be great. Nah, he, he, I he hope to have, have a car. Technology. Nah, I mean, okay. So in terms of the social, aspects, he doesn't like yeah. technology. In terms of the, in terms of the social aspect, um, I I feel like people should uh, not treat people who they don't understand in a discriminatory way. That's kind of the big thing. Um, if people who don't understand people not automatically assume that because this person is different, we now hate him or something like that. Because that's, that's what's been happening throughout history. The reason why there have been so many wars in history is because when, when you don't understand something and, and you're a, like, like, we're all Asians, let's, I mean, let's, 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 let's be frank, we're all Asians, right? Even though the definition of Asian is different from what we're saying. But let's just say for the time being that we're all Asian, right? And then we see a white guy, right, walking to us. Do we automatically go, Oh fuck this guy! I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hang out with this guy. This guy's a bit of a dick. Like you shouldn't make that assumption. If you don't understand uh, new things, you shouldn't already make the assumption that this guy is somehow threatening my way of living, or we should like you know discriminate or put down certain things. So what I, what I want my you know what I want my children in the future to experience in in a social setting, which you should have fucking paraphrase, Mister Mister Tiger. What, 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 what have we been talking about for the last <laughs> half an hour? Mr. <laughs> Tiger, is that, you know, people should not make uh, quick uh, judgments. People should not take the shortcut out. They should really be like conscious in the way in, um, you know, they treat people um, that they don't know, that they have no good information on. Um, you should, if, you don't, if you don't have any good information on a new person that you meet in, your, in, in life, um, they shouldn't automatically they shouldn't automatically put that person down because that has a lasting effect on, on a lot yeah. of people. And, 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 and let's be really honest, like if you look at most Americans who are racist and who do all this shit on a day-to-day basis, they have never probably have ever met more, like more than four or five Asians in their entire life, maybe. Or four or five or even two or three black dudes right they've never probably have ex- encountered something like that so obviously they just go full racist and they they assume if that person that they've met is really bad they generalize to the entire race and it's yeah but you know but they go to our motherlands and act like they own the place it's ridiculous, yeah, exactly. frankly. Yeah, it's exactly. ridiculous, frankly. But but I, I just want to I just want to talk about what you just said. I I think what you just said is what is expected right now. I don't think it would change. That's the. I'm, I'm being the pessimist. I'm being the pessimist here. It was figure me straight. You know, 
I believe that, you know, eventually the China-America situation will boil over and we'll, um, or East Asians, I want to be specific here, who, who look Chinese, who probably aren't even Chinese, will, will be affected by this, you know, about the growing power of China and what, and what that means for the rest of the world. Obviously, Australia has no right or, you know, any any right influence. to like, you know, yeah, any influence of global leadership on, on this topic, you know, they, 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 without, without America, if you think you're straight, thinking uh, strategically, they, they, they cannot defend the borders, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and that's going to be a problem in the future. But, you know, I, I think I'm hopeful in the future that there will be a person of color. Doesn't matter what color you're on, you are, <laughs> you know, who will become prime minister of this country and, and he will try to change that perception, you know, that mm. the, I was, I was listening to a TikTok video today where, you know, this guy's saying Australia's a racist country and he was, um, this guy's obviously African. Um, and he was just saying that, you know, people get offended by that, but you know, if you get offended by that and get triggered by that, that means there is a problem. There is a bloody problem. That's even right, though like, right. if there's no problem, e- even though, they if you get angry about it, you, you know that deep down subconsciously there is a bloody problem with us. Even no though one, that, yeah, yep. no one would defend themselves if there was no problem. Like, if someone made a baseless accusation, you just walk away and be like, "Oh, this guy's just talking shit. He's probably a lunatic." But if you if you see the need to defend yourself from that accusation, that means it means that deep down there is at least some sort of truth in that, and you feel like you are being attacked. Um, and you don't want to feel like this is who, this is what people, what you are. Um, yeah. And I think, look, going back to what you were saying about, oh, 50 years, 50 years down the track, I'll, I'll, I'll draw this back to what we were talking about at the very, very, very beginning of this podcast, which was, oh, like the movie, like Simu Lu being in a movie. Well, guess what? I have yet to see a, a movie in a, uh, an Australian uh you know, blockbuster or TV series where the, the main person, uh, the main character um, is a person of, uh, of a different heritage that is not, the, not, not Anglo-Saxon and where there is a main cast of that character, of that heritage that is not, um, not Anglo-Saxon. Would you and, consider, uh, sorry, just to add, just to ask you a question, would you consider Lion, the movie Lion, where, where the... I would consider that movie. good, but I would... Oh, 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 would you like the lion to talk about the lion? I won't talk about the lion. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it's my movie. Yeah, don't, it is. How do don't, you don't talk shit. All right, no. <laughs> no, we'll, oh, no, I won't talk shit about it. But I feel like on the whole, like th- that's still a movie about like, look, it's, it's a movie about someone who's, who's, yeah. ca- who's been taken to Australia and then goes... Like it's not about it's not about Australians of a different heritage as a whole, like as a whole, and I feel like um, I want to be in let's say fifty years down the track. I want to live in a in a in a, con- in a in a world where in a country where my children, if they wanted to be an actor or they wanted to be in, you know in a in the creative industry, where they would have the same opportunities as everyone else. Um, and where they can see themselves on the screen um they can um they can feel proud and confident um that who they are and what they look like won't be a matter 
um, would be an issue for them uh, in society. And ultimately, um, uh, and I will tell you this because I, I, I did read an article about this um, recently, which is uh, that right now, as the way things are, there is a perception in the in the in the, in the media industry that um, minority uh, actors or, or um, creatives uh, are not bankable, and that is a reason. That is one of the That's reasons true. why. That is one of the yeah. reasons why, um, if you look at the major commercial television channels, none of, uh, very few, very few of the, um, the big shows have people of color as leading roles, or if, or and never, very, very rarely ever the main role as, a, in and of itself. And I think, um, yeah, like there was a movie, there was a show that came out um, on SBS a few months ago. It's called Hungry Ghosts, and it talks about a Vietnamese Australian family uh, in Mel Melbourne. And um, the reason why that show had to be on SBS was because that show was about Vietnamese and Australians and their family in the first and second generation and, and the struggles uh, and the, the differences in, in the cultures between those generations. And to have a show about that, you needed to have a cast of predominantly people of those of that heritage. And unfortunately, I feel, and I feel that if the perception that uh, ethnic uh, people of ethnic minorities are not bankable, then those commercial channels won't sponsor or won't produce those shows because they think it's unbankable. And therefore, as a result, you don't get those shows. So it's a wait, wait. What yeah, the fuck is this? I'm just looking at the cover picture for it right now. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> it's about being lazy, boy. There's two white dudes. There's uh, I don't know, a woman of ambiguous ethnicity. It's probably one. No, the main actual... character. The main character is 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 um is is Viet Viet Australian. It's about her tracing um yeah things happening to her. Anyway. The, the idea is that, um, yeah, like a show like that couldn't have, couldn't have only one person of color. It'd have to have multiple in, in the cast. And I feel like um, there was an, there was a, um, an there was an article about uh, the show after it came out uh, on news.com.au, which you can find out, uh, which you can look for, uh, which talks about how um, casting agents for people of color, um, here um there are some casting agents that try very hard and you know very sincerely to put um forward uh, actors of color to these big productions and time and time again they were turned away um by the big media companies um so it's not a matter it's not a matter of you know them not trying it's a matter of them not being accepted and i feel like um i i would sincerely hope by the time you know, I'm 60 or 70, we could live in a country where that would no longer be a predominant issue. That's true. Here, here, Mr. Phoenix. I agree. The, those kind of things. Looking at the billing list, the first three, well, the first four are the white characters and then, um, then, then Sophie Tran, which is the Gillian Nguyen's character, comes up as fifth comes out as fifth and what the hell there is a white girl playing as claire Nguyen. <laughs> her name's justin justin clark oh i know her 
She's in everything, everybody thing. What the fuck is this? What the <laughs> fuck is this? What yeah, the fuck what, is this? Yeah. No, no, no. But no, 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 no. But Claire Nguyen is Paul's wife, as in uh, one of the characters is Paul, which means okay, she okay. Changed, she's, she changed her name. The character changed her name after she married Paul. That's normal. I would draw that comment then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Paul Nguyen is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a um, yeah, is an, is a Vietnamese immigrant. And his wife is a, is an Aussie local woman who changed her name. Yeah, so, sure. yeah, that's, that that's not a, that's not a matter of uh, whitewashing at all. Just, okay. Just okay. 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 But that, no, I just no, saw that in the wind and like, you know, yeah, but yeah. just, just, just to continue on with that, that aspect, you know, I just really want to, I'm, I'm sure, uh, both of you are probably tired of me talking about, um, talking about this, but you know, I, I just talk on the topic of TV shows. I think the greatest TV show that's come out that's really demonstrated what it means to be Asian American in a foreign country is probably Warrior. You know, even though it has some negative access of you know about showing the the gangs of Chinatown, but you know, I think it's a very good craft of story. You know, and it, and it's and it's a shame that you know. Uh, so it's on Cinemax, which is HBO's subsidiary that does a lot of uh, good independent um, miniseries. That that's that's closed up, closed up shop due to COVID. But you know, it's such a great TV show, just about the the gang war of Chinatown because that's something you never hear about. Obviously, it's from historical facts, but you know, it's never something that you hear about. And I still remember, I still remember um, the the second producer of it. You know. Um, Bruce Lee's daughter, you know, just talk about, you know, just on a radio show and, and just saying that, you know, it's it, just talk, telling people about the show, the synopsis of the show, like, you know, it's set before the Chinese Exclusion Act, you know, and nine out of 10 people that she talked to hadn't even heard about that. And they were, they were in America. So, you know, it's just like, even though that you probably know and we probably know about it, you know, greater the greater general population probably doesn't give a fuck and probably doesn't mm. even care about it to be honest so you know it's such a great show you know mm. i recommend you watch it but it's just just going back to this casting situation it's really horrible that i i, I haven't seen i don't even story back backstory about it but it's it's warrior was a show that was written by Bruce Lee before he died, and he submitted that to Warren Brothers. And Warren Brothers were always, Warren Brothers took that show. They always denied this. They always denied this. They took that show and they made it in the show called Kung Fu, where this white Buddhist guy travels around the Wild West in order to find whatever. I, I will never watch it. All right, I will never do that to my my beloved idol Bruce Lee. You know, you know that's been on his grave times ten. You know, so. And and now they've gotten an Asian American writer to lead that as the writer, as the lead writer. And they recasted it. And it's absolutely bullshit. And more diversity. So this is what they do, right? They add an Asian woman, right? Easy. Easy on the eyes. Easy to promote. Easy for it's the white men to get, get interested in. About, just to clarify, right? The new it's kung fu, the new kung fu. You know, yeah. it's coming out. It's in post. It's in pre-production at the moment, so it's going through the writing phase, right? <laughs> and and then it's just like so typical of an 
of like a Asian woman in a white. Is the main movie. character blonde? No, she's Asian. She's Asian, no, no, but you the, know the other guy, the love interest. Is he blonde? Yeah, she's blonde. Yeah, okay. He's blonde or whatever. Okay. I know how the story is gonna pan out. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's crazy how you know these people will just get one person, one Asian person in the in the writer room. We'll give you this opportunity. We'll give this opportunity to to write this show, right? But you need to write it in this way, and and yes, and, and that's absolutely the issue is, yeah. The issue is. Like I said at the very beginning, it's not just having a guy who's in the writer room. It's also the director. The director controls the casting and everything. And ultimately, like, even if you have one writer, okay, like, if the director says, nah, fuck, like, uh, we need a blonde guy, then, then you, you can't do shit. You want to you wanna, you wanna resign? Like, you know, you're not really put in a very, you know, position where you have a lot to, to say about that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I feel like, look, ultimately, I feel like, um, yeah, like Warrior sounds like it's um, it's a pretty good, accurate representation, and I feel like it doesn't matter if portraying gangs looks bad. Okay, the whole movie Godfather Father is about gangs. It's about Italian gangs. It's not whether or not gangs or non-gangs are a, a social good or a social evil. It's about portraying authentic stories, whatever they may be. And I think um, as That's long the as thing. the story is authentic. It doesn't matter yeah. if there's gangs or not. Or yeah, you're absolutely right. I, and, and let's really like think about it fundamentally. As a, as a moviegoer or as a TV watcher, what are you actually watching? Or what are you actually you know, trying to get out of it when you go watch a movie and things? You want to be... Hot girls, bro. Hot girls. Yeah, super, super entertained by girls. Um, <laughs> fact, you never know. But, you know, like, you know, you, you want to have some sort of an emotion where you can come out of the theater feeling different about yourself every single time. Like, that, like that's the whole point of watching something. You just want to feel entertained. You want to maybe learn things if you want to. But if, even if you want to learn, you want to kind of, like, learn something that is completely outside of what you experience on a day-to-day -day basis. That's why those, you know, stuff like, you know, Marvel stuff and, you know, those kind of hypothetical show like, like like those scenarios of the worlds and stuff it's very interesting to people because they want to learn about this new world because it's completely different from the world that they're living in right now like when you like it's, just, it's all about the entertainment factor but it's also about telling genuine authentic stories why do you want to compromise that by having a white down version of it, you know or the other way around if you have like a white story why do you want to have an asian writing a white story like it makes no sense <laughs> it, it's got to be mm. bad but yeah like of course. Uh, so so like we're nearing to the end and i kind of want to talk to you um mr phoenix so this is the reason why we, we had you in this podcast it's about oh really i thought it's, about, it's about it's about it's about korea you said you have some interesting facts and things to talk about career and it's one of your passion passion projects I, I do, and I, I can talk a bit about, um, you know, the history and the politics and, you know, the culture of the country. Uh, depends what you are interested in. But I feel like ultimately um, there is a lack of understanding in, in um, across the Western world about the, the modern history of a lot of countries in Asia, like apart from the wars that happened, like the Korean War. Everyone knows the Korean War, everyone knows the Vietnam War. But no one, not many people know how the society progressed after that. You know, like people just like, oh, South Korea became a modern country in 30 years. No one knows how it happened. It just did, you know, like no one studies it. Very um, very few people study it, rather. Um, 
And yeah, like if you wanted to, I can tell you a little bit about how it happened um, just for, you know, you know, getting the history out there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, so something that probably people will be more interested to know about is the implications of the Korean War. And like how you said, you know, it's com- like afterwards you had the split, the South and the, no- and, and the North. Correct. Right? So, Correct. So, so how did the world, how did Korea change after that? Because that's what not a lot of people talk about. And the mm. thing we have now, what we call time and history, <laughs> where that this whole thing happened in like the 70s and so forth. So we have 30 years of knowledge that no one knows about in Korea. Mm. And mm. I, want to, I want you to kind of like touch up on a couple of things that you thought you think are quite useful for people to understand. Like myself, okay. I'm one of those people who do not understand much about this subject, but I kind of get, okay. get, get, a, get a broad idea, but um, I want you to talk mm. about it. That's why we... I, w- I will gladly fulfill your, your, your request. Um, and I, I think as a general principle, um, every, every person, you know, if they can, they should read a little bit about the, the modern history of, you know, most countries in the world, just to see how they became what they are now. Um, now, going back to Korea, after the second, after the Korean War, South Korea and North Korea obviously split up. And then actually at that time, North Korea was richer because they had more resources. And South Korea was actually the, poor, the eighth poorest country in the world. Um, what by the history, fuck? <laughs> um, after the Korean War. Um, it was poorer than a lot of countries in Africa at that time because they were completely devastated. And South Korea has uh, pretty much a very little natural resources. Um, but then there were a couple of, um, yeah, polit- political turmoils and then a, a general by the name of, uh, uh, Park Chung-hee, who is a president, uh, Park Chung-hee became president and he ruled the country for, um, close to a, um, close to 18, about 18 years. Um, he ruled the country first by, uh, taking power in a military coup. And then he maintained power through, um, what some would consider dictatorial measures. Uh, he rewrote, rewrote the constitution to give himself more powers. Um, but what he did, I think, from an economic point of view, is, is what created the foundations of the modern um, developed country that is today's Republic of Korea, which is um, he, instead of, you know, adopting socialist models of, um, you know, like uh, the state should run all economy, uh, he encouraged private enterprises to... Um, to invest in research and development and to build themselves up. And in exchange, the government would provide loans to those companies with almost zero interest uh, wow. in exchange for those companies to do, uh, to specialize in a certain area and also to do the, to work f- towards the government's uh, goals uh, when it, when it became possible, when it became needed to do so. So for instance, certain companies, like uh, Hyundai became specialized in um, building ships uh, and building cars. And, you know, Hyundai shipbuilding, not many people know this, but it's one of the largest shipbuilding companies in the world. Um, and, you know, for instance, Samsung uh, eventually morphed into an electronics giant. Um, and pretty much what it was is that those companies were encouraged to invest in research, research and development and to improve their um, these the products and the services that they could make, and um, ultimately, because of that, 
um, the that created a lot of jobs, but also it gave the those companies and the country as a whole the expertise uh, in those fields uh, to make better and better, better uh, quality products, uh, which would eventually be able to compete uh, on a global level. And so, you know, eventually at the time, Japan was better quality than Korea, and you know, for most of recent history, it was. Um, but because of Park's economic reforms, uh, the Korean um, conglomerates, uh, you know, gained more and more, had more and more power to um, to invest uh, in both, uh, you know, their own development and also in, in their country. And so um, those companies were able to actually build a lot of infrastructure as well uh, to help with um, national development. And so eventually, um, condensing 30 years of history into, you know, a very short amount of time, um, they they were able to lift the country out of poverty um, and yeah. um, after, after the 1980s uh, into prosperity. Having said that though, until 1987, the country didn't really have um, true, true democracy because it was ruled by successive military governments. Um, and so uh, I guess the trade-off in that was that um, in order for those things to happen, um, obviously a lot of uh, tough big decisions had to be made which people may not have voted for if they had the power to vote um, you know keeping for instance keeping uh, wages artificially low um, for a good period in the 60s and 70s would not be something that people would vote for but it was necessary at the time to ensure that uh, those industries were competitive um, so yes yeah, that's like, right yeah, the, the legacy of Park Chung-hee is a, is a controversial one in modern Korea. Some people, human rights activists, uh, will be very um, uh, unhappy uh, to hear, but, you know, to, to be reminded of um, things that happened, such as, you know, arbitrary detentions and whatnot that happened under his reign. Um, but a lot of uh, people also remember him as, you know, the guy who essentially built the foundations of modern Korea. Um, and, uh, you, know, sh- sh- you know, a lot of people sacrificed um, and endured many hardships for, but they, it would provide a better future for their children. I think uh, ultimately that's how someone should be evaluated, not just because he's a bad person, a good person, but ultimately what did he provide for? What did he do that could be something that people can remember him for? Whether that be good or the bad? Yeah, well, my objective... question uh, to Go you on that is that Please. why do you think that countries such as Korea and Singapore, which both have a similar um, timeline of chain of events, you know, you know, they 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 had a di- dictatorship, you know, and they and they went out and went out of it pretty successfully. Why do you think countries in Africa, just talking Africa generally, we're, we're not going to get into <laughs> which African country, but why do you think Africa um, generally has not been able to done this, do the same thing where they do have the same system, but it's the leaders just don't want to get out of power and stuff. Or like, um, is it deeper? My, is it cultural? My, I think my answer to that question is, um, it, it is not the system itself that creates the prosperity or you know the the conditions for economic development. It is a comp- It is a combination of multiple factors. Um, you know, for instance, the, the Philippines, as an example, is a is a democratic country in Asia, but it hasn't yet to even. I won't even compare it to South Korea or Japan or Taiwan. It has even managed to match the economic development of Thailand. And Thailand is, as we know, um, a country which has been run by successive military governments. Um, 
whereas the Philippines is a democratic republic. And I think if you if you use Africa as an example, it's not so much that oh you you don't necessarily need a dictatorship to um, to uh, create economic development, nor is it the case um, that uh, you know that democracy necessarily creates uh, prosperity. However, it's it's what happens in that country whilst you have that system. So for instance, in, in Singapore and, and South Korea, they did whatever they could to improve their country. And by improving, I don't mean just, oh, you know, like splash some money and give people social welfare or like, um, you know, like, oh, just get some foreign aid and like, you know, feed people. You know, it's, it's, it's about being able to create um, the infrastructure as well as the industries which make the country competitive on the global on the global um, sphere and Singapore made itself competitive on the global sphere um, by positioning itself strategically as the uh, ec as an economic hub in Asia um, and you know they invested the government invested a lot in also in industries such as petrochemicals um, and I think what Africa would need if they were to um, you know, be, be developed or be on the path to development was not just having, you know, say a strong leader, but also having a, 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 a consistent national policy where, hey, like, you know, we're not really making, if we're not making goods or we're not making producing services which are valuable in the long run, they need to try and work on that, you know, like, if if you if if you told South Korea in the fifties, if you told someone in South Korea in the fifties, hey, your country will be making cars that will be exported all over the world in in twenty ten or twenty twenty, or you, your 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 country will be making phones that everyone's using in twenty twenty, no one would believe it, because they've just come out of a war and you know they yep. they, they think oh my god like uh, all we need is food to 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 feed our families and to put a roof over our heads. But ultimately, the, the path to prosperity is more than just that. It's about being able to set yourself up uh, to be competitive globally. And I think that is the difference between, um, yeah, like uh, Singapore, South Korea, um, and, you know, some of those countries in Africa, which I think you might be referring to there, Tiger. Um, and yeah, look, look. I ultimately, I don't think there is one correct way for a country to develop, but I think what is consistent amongst any, any country that's managed to make it from developing to develop is a commitment to constant improvement of their, of their country. And yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the key. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of parallels between the private sector and in the public with, in, in regard to this, this concept of improving, but also going from it from an innovation point of view. Like, I feel like what you've been talking about in the South Korean context is that you needed someone with a big with big balls and a big vision to create that innovation, to create that push to be a global leader. Not even right. a leader, just 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 to just to be competitive in the global. Competitive. Yeah, that's what's. I feel like in Africa, where Africa is a, in a really unique spot, where the world has changed around Africa. Let's be really frank. Like if you're living in Africa, you're you've seen the world move ten or fifteen times faster than 
what you experience in Africa because of you know governments want to you know keep their power and you know whatnot like they're like they 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 have self interests over there in that nation but what I find fascinating is that now with technology going global everywhere around the world everyone has access to a phone if you're in a developed developed country you have the opportunity to leverage that in areas where they're slowly building out their technology infrastructure. And Africa is a really unique continent because you can fast forward some of the innovations that has took um, the developed nations much more longer to implement. Like right now, we have electricity coming through from power lines, right? Africa, you can like completely stop that way of generating electricity and have solar roofs. Um, and, it, and, it, and it has happened. It has, it has started to um, come through because it's much more portable and much more efficient. But, you know, it's, it's things like that, that I feel like it's fascinating in, an, in, a, in a country like, like in a continent like Africa, where you, know, you can, you know, take leaps and leaps forward in technology that you possibly couldn't have um, if you had followed it else. In, in, but in saying that, not why, why haven't the African nations have done that? Because they have still been stuck in the past and they've been trying to do the same thing over and over again. And it has, and it has not worked. And that's why you see um, the Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, he visited Africa and he's very impressed in uh, the African fintech startups, financial technology startups. And um, they, he feels fintechs are going to be very big in that country because they can take those extra leaps that they couldn't have um, if they were in another another country or another another nation slowly building out their e-commerce infrastructure uh, all through the, the internet all through digital digital um, um infrastructure and what i feel like is a catalyst for every single innovation is one strong leader or one strong person with a vision and who is not given um who's, who's not who's not stopped in any way because if it wasn't for the South Korean uh, dictator, I'll, I'll call him that, there wouldn't have been, um, you know, the innovation that is South Korea in 2020. There wouldn't have been an, a, a Samsung. Samsung would not have existed without him. So it's, it's really weigh, weighing in the, the pros and the cons. The, the pros have to be where there's been a significant amount of change that happens when you have that person for, for the con to be not as important. However, if the cons, however, there is another way in the case of Hitler, <laughs> one strong leader, try to change the world, but, of, of, but obviously his like, like ideologies were like really bad for the human race, things like that. It fucked everything up. And, um, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be a really important discussion point because for every good thing that could happen in this type, this type of dictator, like leadership. Is also a very bad one, very bad outcome. Of course, of course, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, look, I think, look, if you look at the example of a lot of, um, you know, I'll probably, I'll draw on Asia as a few examples because that's probably where most of these things have happened, where a country was a dictatorship during its development period and then uh, it, the, examples i can think of right now uh <clears throat> sorry south korea um the uh republic of china or taiwan um and singapore um yeah like for for those places um 
yeah, during the, during that period of time, it was you know the 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 system was um, I guess uh, a, a primary driver uh, to ensure that there could be coordinated national plans on um, yeah on on modernizing the country. It wasn't just one private sector company going off and doing this. Uh, no, it was like hey, you do this, but then hey, you also got to do this for the country. Um, so yeah, like that that's that coordination was important. Um, but I also feel like having a strategy to be like, oh, you know, this is what we, what we want. This is what we have. This is what we want. And how do we get there? Have that sort of plan. Um, and to distinguish yourself from your, your neighboring countries or otherwise emulate your neighboring countries if they're successful. Um, so like for instance, in South Korea's, um, case, they very much emulated Japan's model because, Guess what? Uh, guess what? Um, South Korea, uh, Korea as a whole, used to be a Japanese colony for about thirty-five years between nineteen ten and nineteen forty-five. Um, and General Park was actually a you served in the in the Japanese army um, once once Korea was under Japanese occupation, and so he f f saw uh, the Japanese model um, whilst he was serving the in the Korean army, and he, he saw how Japan became an um, you know, an, an, an empire leading up to World War II. And uh, he saw the, the, the pros of, um, of that model. And, and so he used that as a, um, as, a, as a blueprint to be like, oh, you know, we can actually make our country just as competitive as him. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they can make, um, you know, high quality products um, and export them around the world, we can do it too. And, you know, one of the things that people don't know uh, about um, the Vietnam War is that the second largest contributor of troops to Vietnam was actually South Korea after the United States. Um, oh. Most people do not know that. Most people think, oh, the US was main, mainly it. But no, like South Korea contributed the second most troops to the Vietnam War under Park Chung-hee. Um, South Vietnam. Goes to show, yeah. Vietnam, of course. Goes to show yes, one strong yes. guy can influence a lot of things around the world. Yes, and uh, and I say that as a strategic, as a as a as a part of his long term strategy, because um, by doing so, uh, he was able to get uh, good loans from the United States. Um, he was able to get a good amount of money from the U.S. for in uh, in exchange for committing those truce, which he then funneled into developing the country. Um, you know, it was a it wasn't oh like hi hey, I love war sort of thing. It was a <laughs> but like that just goes to show that he had a plan like that, that, you know, instead of I'm, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to use this to, to, for a, a better purpose. And I feel like um, all of these things combined is, you know, is a, is the reason why it became, you know, a, a exported oriented industrialized country. Uh, and, you know, going back to what you're saying about Africa, there are obviously very big differences in countries around Africa in terms of both their, their geography, their resources, um, and their, you know, their social, their, 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 the culture and, and the, so the society of each country. But I feel like for a country to be competitive, then one would need to differentiate themselves from the others. Um, you know, like Singapore differentiated itself very well from its Southeast Asian neighbors as it provided a, um, a, a stable, um, a stable country, high income, um, safe, uh, you know, secure economy, um, 
where people would be happy to invest uh, and to put their hubs there. And I feel like for an, if African countries wanted to, you know, be on that path, um, they need certain countries would need to make you know something their specialization wrong with that, and it would it would depend very much on that country itself. Like North Africans and North Africa and southern parts of Africa are very different in terms of um, ethnicity, culture, language, um, and resources. Um, but I still feel like um, ultimately we're talking more about the countries in the southern parts of Africa and those countries need to yeah like right now if i ask you a question hey person like can you tell me the difference between guinea bissau uh, democratic republic of congo and uh, and equatorial guinea and central Af african republic could you tell me the difference between those four countries uh <laughs> say no man i kind of answers my question hey yeah there you go there you go there you go there you go and I'm not saying that in a disparaging way about those countries. I'm just saying that there isn't enough done to differentiate them. Whereas I could easily, you could easily ask the question, can you tell me the difference between Singapore and Thailand or Singapore and Indonesia? And you can easily name, most people can easily name several distinguishing factors. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's my point. I, I feel that, um, yeah, you got to set yourself up differently. Um, that's why Switzerland is different. Because you know, people know people know it as what it is—the place to store your wealth. <laughs> yeah, and not really, not anymore. not anymore. But but moving on to that, obviously with coronavirus here, we're still here in 2021 when this episode does come out. Uh, you know, coronavirus has done a lot of uh, harm to people's economies, but most especially like people's uh, development developing economies who are expected to be the next leaders in the global economy, such as uh, India. Obviously, India is going through huge political strife uh, with uh, the aim to basically corporize uh, farming, the, their farming industry, you know, coming from that, obviously, you see a lot of protests, even in Australia, from the Indians who uh, empathize with the farmers back uh, back over, over in the home country, you know, with, with that and with the expected clash between China and India on the economic sense, you know, do you think that India has, India's economy has been, has shown to the world that, you know, there are inherent weaknesses in this country, in this economy where, you know, 60 to 70% of their workforce are still in farming type roles, you know, Obviously, with the industrialization back in back in the nineteen well eighteen hundreds, you know, the story is that in order to become a developed country, you need all, if not majority, of your workforce in high tech, high manufacturing, in professional services firms, just so that because after a while, you only need need a couple of a percent of your population to actually manage the funds because those have already been automated. I, I I really understand what Modi's trying to do in try in trying to make more market oriented policies in those sectors, but but on the other hand, you know, I think I think the time is right for India to really get all its workforce into high tech industries. And, you know, India is well known for being good at high tech. Um, 
no pun intended on that and no no stereotyping on that but you know it's true right with uh with that it capital you know they have like numerous um national institutes of technologies over there you know you know um but do you think that india will ever get to china's level or it's impossible for a democratic country superpower to reach china at this stage Put that question to Phoenix or Ty- oh, full of line. Phoenix. I mean, the line here. Put, the line um, yeah. put his line. Put his line. Put the line first. Man, make that yeah. million dollar question, and that is the toughest question to think about because it all depends on what I believe is the is the Nash equilibrium. If we go to economics one hundred and one, it's assuming what the other guy does and try to make the best moves um, for your nation. In this case, with India, you have this push and pull. Uh, you've got this innovation and manufacturing drive that they want to pursue, that they really want to you know, follow the China footstep. But then the pull from the farmers, from the, you know, the, the agricultural roots, the, you know, like respect and you know, trying to be more, you know, because India is a very religious uh, country. They have like millions of religions, sub-religions, right? And um, you know, everyone has an opinion over there. Um, there's, you can't get anything done. <laughs> Everyone has an opinion on, on, on a particular issue based on whatever religion that they follow or that they pursue. Because one religion can prohibit some things and another religion may allow some things in India. And it's, it's all part of the same religion, but there's so many sub-religions and so many interpretations of doing things over there that no, like it's very individualistic you can't have a one policy fits all that's the biggest problem in india you can't have a one policy that everyone agrees on there's going to be so much agreement even on some of the most basic things in india it's just natural you see that if, even in like in like in like culture if you like watch like something as like cricket right which is like a religious sport every different indian have an opinion on a different per, different player in the indian team some really like them, some really hates them, but no matter what, they will express that opinion. It's not like they're keeping it to themselves. No, they, they express it. While most Western nations, whenever they have an opinion, they like to keep it to themselves and you know, maybe talk to their friends and whatnot, but they don't like, they don't like, they don't like put it out there for everyone else to see because it's just embarrassing, right? In India, it's the complete opposite. Everyone wants to express their opinions and no one really cares. Uh, but there is going to be a lot of arguments and that's how arguments come across very commonly in India. And going back to policy, it's going to be a very tough push and pull because the push is to try to you know, grow your economy, right? India at the moment is one of the uh, two biggest countries that uh, have, have a lot of uh, pollution, right? They, you know, they, they, they use oil, they use coal, you know, they, they're very old school stuff, but you know, it's pretty bad for the environment. And they need to have a plan to cut that down and they're planning to shift to renewables. But, you know, by doing that shift, you know, you, what do you, what do you need? You need, you know, space, you need, you need land, you need agricultural uh, areas to convert into those high tech manufacturing uh, facilities. But obviously you're not going to get that because the farmers are going to you know, come back and backlash. So it's, it's always a push. Well, well, let me ask you a question on that technology. Obviously India is well known for technology. Without a doubt, you know, Microsoft yeah. is headed by an Indian person. But why don't you think that Indian people can create their own firms, create their own, well, they, they, uh, 
I'll be truthful and just say, like, there, there are firms out there that do this, but why do you not think that more of them are well known globally? Like, because why, I mean, why, why? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I, I know what you're trying to say. Um, like, what, why haven't there been any global Indian player that everyone use their service on a day-to-day basis? Why does it have to come from America? <laughs> well, let's be really frank. The thing, in, the, the, the difference in culture is the biggest one because in America, you have a culture where even if you fail, you try again. You try again until you succeed. In India, you're kind of grown up to, like your destiny is all, like because people believe, believe a lot in religion in, in India and in, in fate and destiny, whenever they're given a goal, they're not willing to accept that this is going to be how I end up, or this is what I want to pursue. What they do is they try to do all they can to go towards that goal. Um, they're not very flexible in what they want in life. And when they fail, they automatically assume that they fail full stop, not they fail and they can try something again. That could be even better than what they have gone for in the first place. See, that's, that's the difference in India. That's why you don't see much innovation. That's why you see a lot of copycats. <laughs> that's why you see, it's kind of like China, where you see a lot of um, like knockoff versions of American uh, products. So even, even like something as TV shows, right? Not a product, but like, you know, equipment, I guess, or like, like, like IP, <laughs> intellectual property, like of like, you know, there's, there's like the Indian version of The Voice, something like as harmless as that. But it just shows that they, the, the type of content they create are not that innovative when you compare it, um, you know, um, in, in, like, in like pop culture and things like that. But in saying that, there is, a, there is a thing that is very innovative in India and that's Bollywood that is completely different from Hollywood, um, and which I really like, right? Because it's their own content, very original, um, different, um, different uh, things happen there. But, you know, a lot of song and dance, <laughs> obviously. Huh. So well, if I go yeah. in, yeah, do they just randomly just uh, start dancing in front of me? <laughs> nah, nah, mate. That, that, that's all in the Bollywood movies, mate. That's oh, shame. It's funny, like, you know, like some of the stuff, like, you know, some of the, some of the motifs and symbols are hilarious. Like, you know, the co- like being a policeman in, in India and having a policeman portrayed in an Indian uh, Bollywood movie, it's like virtual equivalent to someone talking about in God. The Harry Potter movie. Yeah, right. some, someone talking about like, you know, like God or something or like, you know, or like, mm-hmm. or like uh, Albus Dumbledore, like, like they're so powerful in, in Indian movies. Like, it's like, like the bad guy could shoot an Indian cop like 20 times, but he'll dodge all 20 times like freaking Neo from the Matrix. It's kind of like that. It's pretty funny. It's like, it's like, yeah. but, but, but I mean, getting back to the bigger question, which regarding governments, right? They're going to have a very difficult, difficult choice to make. Um, the choice being, are they willing to push forward with the criticism that they're getting or are they going to cave into the criticism and going to be stuck with the way that they've been doing in the past and they're not going to innovate because if they take an option, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. It's good. People don't realize it, but it's going to be bad for them because they're going to be left behind. Um, But if you go forward, understandably, farmers are going to, you know, go, uh, go go out of work so it's going to be like you know you need to do a huge reskill and retrain um to the digital age and this is not something that people in india are comfortable with um because of some certain type of people are illiterate and you know it's like 
It's going to be a hard transition to a different working environment, but it has to happen. If it doesn't happen, then they're not going to get competitive and China's going to overtake it. And China's going to be, China's going to be like, well, if you can't do it, then we'll do it for you. And kind of like what happened with uh, Sri Lanka, we will build that infrastructure for you, but you are now, you now owe us for a hundred years. You're in our service for a hundred years, things like that. Mm. Yeah, but I'm just curious. Sorry. uh, Sorry. 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 um, uh, Tiger. Um, I'm just curious though. Does the country have a national strategy for what they want to look like in the next 30 years? Like, all those other places I, I I listed earlier, like Singapore, Taiwan, South Korea, when they were developing, they had a, a vision. Uh, even if it didn't necessarily come out exactly as planned, it came out mostly as planned as to what they would look like in the next 30 years and how they get there. Does India have a actual plan on what they envision the country to be, uh, You know, let's say in 30 years, and how to get there? Because that's key. Look, I saw an amazing interview, um, I think like five, maybe six years ago, but around about that time, where they're talking about that exact same question that you're talking about. Do you have a plan in the next you know, 30 years of what India should be and what are some of the most pressing issues that India is facing right now? First issue that they, that, that, that woman uh, answered, uh, who's, who, who is, who is was working at the at, at a different government at that time. I'm not I'm not aware of the Indian politics regarding who was government and who wasn't. But I watched that interview and I know that she was a politician. And she was working for that government and they're they're responsible for policy, obviously. So um, that's why I was like interested. But she said that the number one issue that they're facing right now is that they're one of the largest uh, emitters of uh, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which I, which I thought was insane like i thought india was like the one country where that that sort of thing is not in their top agenda like i thought the top agenda is you know making sure that less people come out of poverty i mean because there's a lot of it is it is there because they see it every day yeah exactly like like but but but, you know when she what she was saying was that yeah like in the short term that is their most you know pressing thing but in the long term you know if we're still Having a, having a city where it's still always polluted and a lot of people die in, in, in the city because of the, it's like very hard to uh, live, right? And, and breathe. Like if you visit Delhi, it's always packed and there's like a lot of, you know, like a lot of uh, tuk-tuks and motorcycles, you know, they emit a lot of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Um, she said that's one of the pressing concerns. And it's still, it's been seven years later and they still haven't yet formulated a plan on what the the 23 years from now would be would be like you know which i find fascinating yeah, but why but, why do you but, that, that but, but the, because the farmers do you know why do you know why yeah. mumbai has, has such a bad air quality during the later months of the year it's because the farmers the way that they uh turn over the field they don't pick it up. They don't, they don't dig in, like, take all the roots out and all that stuff. Like, you know, you're doing, like, a normal, uh, like, uh, mechanized farm, right? What they do, so all of them do it. They've been asked to stop to do it. But all they do is that they burn their fields every, yeah. every, every time after the picking season. 
in, in the particular country. They're right next to the mountains, or the air gets stuck there. So he, so you can't do anything unless you tell the farmers um, to stop doing it. And obviously, the farmers want government's for. This is what a government's for. And it shouldn't have to take a dictatorship to tell them to stop burning the fucking shit, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's, but the farmers is it's, yeah. it's the easiest way to do it. <laughs> of course, like sure, like you could you could have a dictator and they'd be like, oh no, if you do that, I'm gonna shoot you. But it, it shouldn't have to take that. <laughs> but if it had to take that, then maybe would that be a good thing? Or would that be a bad thing? I don't know. But that's what I mean. Like it has just, to be. It has to be what you explained with South Korean guy, right? It had yeah. that guy had to be like the pros had to outweigh the cons for something yes. like to yes. happen. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like the net impact has to be greater. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. think Modi's the right guy for the job. You know, he's too nationalistic. He, I, I don't think he understands his own history. Like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh are always in one country. You know. Yeah, I'm. am just. I'm just saying. Plainly, it's fact. Uh, like, this, fact. This, this is the funny thing. Like, like, <laughs> How like, many systems, bro? No, like like Asians, uh, like you guys, like Asian Australians. Um, you view like Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, India, uh, like very similar, but they're not. They're not. They're not similar. I don't view them. Well, no, no. I, I'm not. I'm not saying they similar. I'm just saying they came from one unified government under the British Raj. Yeah. Yes, under the British. They went, yeah. through, they went through that. But why did I need another British person to come over there and rule? Because then they, yeah. then they work together? Is, is that the thing that Indian and Pakistani people... Because it's just the one thing that's only different from, from the Pakistani, from the Indians and Bangladeshis, is the religion. Yeah. I mean, that and also what they believe in <laughs> is different. That's their religion. I mean, not that's their religion. Are- not, not, not just religion, but like, you know, what they believe in and comes to like day-to-day stuff. It's completely different. Probably yeah, also, but, but I would say hunt, um, they'll, they'll believe in different worldviews and what they see yeah, exactly. as identity, right? Not, like not just religion, like, but yeah. Yeah, like one might be like, oh, you know, Sri Lanka's doing great. We just want to make sure that Sri Lanka, the island of Sri Lanka becomes prosperous. Whereas yeah. the guy yeah. who's a proponent of Greater India will be like, oh, we want to absorb everyone and then everyone goes yeah. prosperous together. And, and, and let's be, yeah, let's be really frank. Like countries like Sri Lanka and countries like Bangladesh, which are very tiny, like it's not ruled by very good people. Like there's so much corruption in those countries. Like politicians, even, even like, People who do like some some of the most randomest jobs in the world, like like randomest job in that country, are some of the most corrupt people ever. Like they could just be taking trash from one place to the next. But if you <laughs> if you follow that person long enough, you realize that this person has ties to the president, or this person is responsible for helping the president with certain things, has to kill people so that this person cannot die and things like that very important like politics and stuff like that but you don't you know you don't talk about those people but you know when it comes to like countries that are developing and and um and, and are yet to approach developed um those those types of people like everyone like yeah those types of people are very common and uh, there's a lot of corruption in those kind of regions as well mm. the key is to be able to take yeah. to take them out take out that and I feel like part of that is what has made some of those successful examples work is that 
um, you know, sure, every society has corruption, but they've been able to handle that in a way which was manageable uh, in that not all of the state's coffers were going to corrupt poli- corrupt politicians or corrupt bureaucrats from every level. You know, like I, I had... I and, and, who, yeah, and, and the most important thing is this, is the incentive structure, right? The incentive structure is much better in a developed country, right? Everyone's incentive is we need to make more money, we need to, like, you know, drive, you know, create products and services that, that, that my customers need. Um, we need to be entrepreneurial. You know, that's the developed develop nations and what they plan to do like with, their, with the companies that they have. While in the developing nations, it's all about, I'm going to undercut you with certain things. You did something bad. All right, I'm going to you know, take away your resource. It's, it's very like, vicious. It's very um, conniving uh, in the developing region. There's a lot of, that's why there's a lot of corruption that happens. And it's just, and, and what's funny is that people who get elected and, you know, become presidents and stuff, they just, they just go like, yeah, it's just, it's just, an, it's just a normal way of life, which I find really like, I find it hard to grasp, right? Cause, cause we live in a developed country in Australia, right? This sort of shit doesn't happen all that often. And when it, when it does happen, it's like front, front page news, right? Cause it's so rare in seeing that happens, but over there, it's just like, oh, this person uh, killed killed a guy that's gonna threaten me in my political power. Okay, all good, no problem. Next story. So, so my question to you, Mister Lying, is that why do you think the Western fake news media always says that India will be the next economic superpower? Population. <laughs> they look at population. They go automatically. Population is equal to economic output. I guess. But then when you look at the productivity of that population, you realize it's not that productive. It is not as productive as other developed nations. And even some of the developing nations have better productivity output than India. It, but, I mean, but you know what India, you know what India does really well? Really well that I found that? They always never forget your delivery order. So, so you know how, so, so I'll tell you how lunches work in um, India like when you yeah. work in office, right? That's so, right. so your wife, so your wife at home makes lunch and then gives it off to a delivery person, right? And that delivery person has 50 lunches they got deliver, but they know which, which they know just like, it's just a little tag on it. They know about the tag, which lunch is supposed to go to in the body downtown building. You know, that's amazing innovation coming right from them. They actually just like, they're great I mean- delivery people. It's, it's better than drones. It's better than any sort of tech, tech-based innovation. I'll give it that, but that's in the services sector, right? So yeah, like it's, it's not going to change the world. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not going to make the, the country immediately prosperous just by having a, uh, a super big Uber Eats kind of thing. No, yeah. uh, no, no, country, <laughs> no, no country ever became rich by having one food delivery company that became a multi-billion dollar company. Is yeah. that, is that why they do so well at Uber Eats here? I mean, Uber Eats is kind of like, <laughs> I mean, if you were to have Uber Eats, what you're really saying is that you don't know, you, you're either A, too lazy to cook or B, just could not be bothered cooking and you just need. Yeah. 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 Well, well, you know, we at the show, at this podcast, we appreciate all people, all colors, all creeds. But, you know, I, I think uh, I want to thank uh, the Phoenix for showing up 
for our very first episode with a guest. You know, it's been amazing to chat with you about a variety of topics. And you know, thanks, my pleasure. Yeah, I yeah, hope but, to be back soon, bro. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you, you met, you were here so good that we made two part, two uh, parts. So this is probably the second part of that. But you know, it's greatly appreciate that you were able to uh, lend us your valuable time. So close up to Christmas, but you know, um, you know, that's it for uh, the lion tiger. Um, why don't the why don't the lion um, close us off? Yeah, mate. Uh, it's been a crazy fucking year. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, it's been one of the craziest years of my life by far. A lot of things happened, um, a lot of pain, but a lot of innovation happened at the same time. It's a huge shift in how the world will move going forward and how developing and developed countries adapt is going to be very interesting to follow going forward. And also the social issues that we talked about in this podcast and in this episode is going to be very interesting to see Will the same inequalities of Asian Americans and Asians in general uh, be represented, um, be uh, sustained long term, or will it? Will there be finally the opportunity for different types of people getting opportunities um, in the in the you know global media landscape? And another another important topic we talked about um, is uh, marketability. Um, you know, can certain people who do not have the same, you know, skin and same uh, branding uh, be given similar opportunities in start, you know, in, in promoting films? And would, would there be a change in psyche in what we want to watch in the future? Um, or will it still stay the same and we only want to watch Hollywood actors do their, do their stuff um, and not really care about the content? And will we still be getting that whitewashing? in media right because that's you know that has always been happening uh, no matter what genre what film um it's never been a full uh, asian cast uh, creating an asian movie uh, except for crazy rich asians which i think is pretty close to getting a full asian cast but i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna end it here uh it's been a great podcast having the having our new guest uh the phoenix come on board and I look forward to talking to you in the upcoming new year. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. So thanks, thanks for thanks, Lion. Thanks, Tiger, for having me on. Um, it's been a real pleasure to to speak to you guys um, and to talk about such a big variety of topics. Um, yeah, I really enjoy uh, just this podcast because you know we can talk about a lot of topical things that I think are very relevant to a lot of people uh, in whether you, you may or may not be the the Asian diaspora. Um, relevant to a lot of people all over the world and i feel like um like this this episode in particular we're talking about a lot of a lot of very um yeah deep cultural and um social and historical things um but ultimately i think uh, i just want to end it on this note that uh, we need to always um persevere and fight for what we want to see in the world and i know that's i'm just paraphrasing what gandhi said but um that is literally uh, what we should all strive for um, like I'm wearing this shirt today and you, you, you won't be able to see it on this podcast, but I'm wearing this shirt here from, it's by a company called Wong Fu Productions. I'm wearing this shirt called Remodel Minority. Okay. <laughs> and what, what that, what this means is um, not that I model minority is a bad thing, but it means that you should not be typecast and boxed in as a model minority. 
you should be whoever you want to be or, and whoever you can be, irrespective of what people see you as. Um, and that's something I personally am very passionate about. And I think, um, that, you know, we, we should all strive for because at the end of the day, like, you know, life is, life is not that long. We've, we, I've lived here for a good you know, quarter of a century. Um, and sure, I might have two more of these to go. But, you know, like what we, what we want to see in the world, if we don't do anything about it, are we just going to wait for other people? And, you know, oh, great. Like, you know, Simi Lu managed to get into Marvel film. That's fantastic. I, I, I think it's great. But I'm sure that if he also believed that someone else can be the next hero in the Marvel movie, you know, I just want to wait for someone to be the, the first Marvel Asian superhero so then I could be in the next movie. If he thought the same way, there would be no Shang-Chi. Yeah. And so there would be no, there would be no, there would yeah. be no be no there would be no uh, Kim's convenience for that matter as well and so it's it's very comforting to uh, to think that we should wait for someone else to pave the path it's not comforting but more and more vital for us to pave the path in our own actions whenever we can and uh, this is a yeah I think this 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 podcast Lion and Tiger is a is a great way to you know to discuss this up. topic yeah yeah yes Absolutely. Well, yeah, so thanks, 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 guys, for having me on. I know I've ranted quite a bit, but um, yeah, that's what I genuinely believe.